everyone. Welcome back to Full Circle, Finding Your Way Home. I'm your host, Gillian McMichael, and in today's episode, we're exploring the power of trusting the universe. When someone says, just trust the universe, it's hard to know what it means exactly. For many people, this may be the feeling that you're somehow looked after and you'll always land on your feet. The belief that the universe is filled with endless possibilities. For others, it is the feeling of connection with the universe and self. This can be done via prayer or meditation or just that sense of connection with your inner knowing. Trusting the universe can take many forms. And my guest today has a unique relationship with the universe as his trust in it began late in life after a life-changing trip to India. Vish Chatterjee was a successful business executive for over 20 years before he embarked on a soul-searching journey. This allowed him to trust himself, surrender to the universe and trust that he was being guided along the right path, his life's purpose. Vish describes himself as an East meets West executive coach, where he brings both the wisdom of yoga and his leadership to help executives who believe they have more to manifest in the world around them, help them realise their full potential and bring more awareness into everything they do. He's also the author of The Business Casual Yogi, Take Charge of Your Body, Mind and Career, where he shares this amazing wisdom and insight. I'm so grateful to be joined by Vish as we explore his experience with trust, how you can build trust in the universe in good times and bad, and why living in a state of surrender is one of the most pleasurable, freeing ways to live. Please sit back and relax and enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Full Circle Finding Your Way Home podcast. I'm delighted to be in conversation today with Vish Chatterjee. Based in California, Vish is a transformative executive coach. He's also a Vedic astrologer, meditation teacher and yoga teacher. I'm really excited about our conversation today because we're focusing on the topic of trusting the universe. So welcome Vish. How are you feeling about our conversation today? Thank you for having me, Julia. I'm very excited to be in this conversation. Very near and dear to my heart, finding your way home. Lovely. Thank you. And I'm so glad. Obviously, we've worked together before and you have been my coach for the last year and a half. And it's been really wonderful working with you. I'm really glad actually that you're here because I think it's going to be a great conversation today on trusting the universe. Because I know the theme of what we've been talking about over this podcast has been all about trust. And you've certainly helped me and supported me through building my trust over these last 18 months. And I just want the rest of the world to hear your story around trust. So on that theme, trusting the universe, Universe. I just wondered, you know, from your experience and this sense of trust is quite an interesting subject matter, isn't it really for you? Yeah, it is. And, and it's interesting you bring it up, Julian, because in my role as a coach, I'm helping people find that trust and connect to that trust of the universe. Um, and a lot of times at first, it just sort of takes a sense of faith. You have to sort of just practice it in a way. But as a coach, as, as you know, you can't help somebody learn to trust the universe if you haven't been through the journey yourself. So I always learned uh, when I when I went through my coach training years ago, it was always, you can only take a client as deep as you've been yourself. So we sort of have to go through our own journey, our own heartache, our own sort of finding our way home in a way before we can really do this work to help and heal others. 
Um, and I, you know, I grew up in a very traditional Indian family with very, you know, some conservative values. So, you know, when you grow up, you will be a doctor or an engineer or a lawyer or some sort of professional. And so it was sort of ingrained in me to go down the path of getting a good education and working my way up in the, in the normal society and in, in a leadership role. Uh, so I had my heart set on being a CEO of a company one day. And so that's the path I took. I studied engineering. I worked in the engineering world for a while. And then I went back and did my MBA. I uh, did a master's in business administration at a top school, went down the management training track at uh, Daimler Chrysler and was being groomed for upper management. And along the way, took a jump into the tech industry and then actually ran my own startup. And I sort of felt like I was in this constant fight. Like you, you heard of the fight or flight response. I was literally in fight or flight for about 20 years of my career, just fighting my way to try to get to the top because I thought that was really my path. Um, and along the way, I've arrived here in Southern California and I started to learn how to surf. And I found out in the ocean, my sort of life story was coming to fruit in the ocean because I would look around me and I'd see all these Southern California sitting on their surfboards and looking at the wave and the wave would come and they just paddled ever so slightly and the wave would just carry them and take them away. Whereas I was just fighting and splashing and struggling. I'd see the wave. I'd mistime it. I had all this logic in my head of how I'm supposed to catch a wave. And I'd splash and fight and splash and fight. And eventually the wave would come and just you know take me out, basically. And I found that to be an analogy of my career that I just had to struggle and fight the whole way. Now, I did make a lot of progress. But I just couldn't just relax into the wave and let the wave sort of carry me on a journey uh, mm -hmm. towards more success. Yeah, it's interesting that, isn't it? That concept of of kind of struggling with the wave. I, I can relate to that myself as well over the years. That kind of I've kind of had a lot of inner inner challenges along the way, and that kind of inner conflict. So I can I can certainly relate to that. But you you mentioned that you felt that your it was your path for you know the twenty years that you spent as in kind of corporate America, kind of climbing the the ranks and and progressing in your career. Did you trust yourself in those moments when you reflect back now? Uh no, I always felt that if I didn't take control, if I didn't command and control a situation, it would not work out. So I had this constant fear that things wouldn't work out. And so I struggled and worked extra hard to make things work. Um, and I even remember early um, in my executive career, I was in charge of a team and we're trying to build a new business. And I had some really aggressive business goals. I'd been given a target to build a $100 million a year business, a new division of the company. And I just took the team and just sort of like drove them. I mean, I was yelling, screaming, pushing, cajoling uh, every step of the way to get people to perform. And we ended up hitting the goals. So we hit the goals and management was very happy with what we achieved. But I remember getting the feedback when, when, uh, when I was called into my review. They said, you know, you, you did a great job hitting the goals, but you just leave a trail of people that are upset. Like people are crying and tears after meetings. Um, and I kind of reacted back and I said, what do you want me to do? You want me to hit the numbers and everybody kumbaya along the way? It doesn't work that way. You get one or the other. And I had this very sort of narrow view of what being in charge meant was just sort of driving people to perform rather than the human element of it. And so now when I look back, I probably would have been even more effective as a leader if I'd been um, more of a human-centric leader, where I was more of a revenue-centric and profitability-centric leader. And what do you think was driving that approach then years ago? And I think it gets back to the root of your question that I was feeling insecure about the universe just working out and trusting in it. And I felt like I had to take control 
And to me, that was a way I, I felt control had to happen is you had to really be a forceful leader and, um, you know, old militaristic style. My early career was also in the automotive industry in Detroit, which is a pretty tough management environment. And Detroit auto industry at the time that I was there was a male dominated, very type A aggressive type of leadership style. And so that's what I had seen, I thought worked. Um, and so it was quite a transition for me to go from the Detroit hardcore automotive management mentality to all of a sudden a more touchy-feely California tech culture. And uh, it was an adjustment for me. You know, I, I really learned a lot in that journey of, of um, how to be more human-centric. And of course, now in my work, it is all human-centric, um, you know, much more far evolved. If I was in those same roles now, it'd be a completely different trajectory probably. Yeah, and a completely different leader, I would imagine, as well. <laughs> yes. So there was obviously, I always find with everyone that I'm speaking to and just thinking about my own experience, there's always that kind of pivotal moment, isn't there, where you think, oh, hang on a minute, either something changes or you decide to make the change yourself. So what happened for you? I had a few pivotal moments along the way that, that sort of now when I reflect back, you know, when you reflect back on your life, you start to see how these moments that might have been years apart, you know, in memory seem like right next door to each other. And there are the moments that sort of, string together to lead transformation. Uh, so one of the things is before I started my career, when I finished my, finished my university education, I went trekking in the Himalayas. I went on a solo trek to kind of find myself, you know, go, go to the mountains and discover my true nature. Um, and instead of finding myself in the mountains, I actually fell off a mountain and got hurt and got lost. So, so I ended up lost in the Himalayas rather than finding myself. And in that journey of sort of being rescued and coming, I went through this whole, uh, I wrote about it in my book, um, this getting rescued and then coming out to a village and then finally going to Rishikesh, this, this um, center of yoga and meditation of the world. And I met a yoga teacher, um, you know, you could call him a yoga guru of sorts. And his name also happened to be Vish. And so we formed this friendship of, you know, the last 22 years. In fact, we co-authored this book, The Business Casual Yogi, where I'm the business guy, he's the yogi, and we kind of came together to write this yoga meets business book. Um, so he's been this dear friend for 20 years and a spiritual mentor and guide to me. And, you know, he's been teaching me yoga and I've been learning yoga along the way and doing yoga in the morning before I went to the corporate world and, you know, fought my battles to try and rise up the ranks. And, you know, many years into that, um, I was, you know, an exited, I had a good exit out of this one company, I was starting my own company and going through all sorts of struggles. And so I met this Vish friend of mine and I said, you know, I'm really struggling in my business life. And he looked at me and said, oh, you do more yoga business, your business will be okay. <laughs> I was like, what does that mean? What do you mean yoga business? I'm a, you know, I don't, I, I don't, do, don't do yoga as a business. I do yoga as a morning practice and then I have a business, right? So it clicked to me that maybe part of my doing more yoga business, let me just volunteer and help him. Maybe this is his you know, secretive way of getting me to help and volunteer and help him out with his yoga business. So I actually started consulting him on his business, helped him build his website and an online yoga program. And he came to LA for a big yoga conference. And I volunteered to be his assistant. I was like, I'll carry your bags around. I'll, wherever you want to go, I'll just sort of carry your bags, open doors for you, you know, be a translator. His English isn't very good. And one of the events he was invited to was a dinner with a very famous yogi named Gurmukh Khalsa. And she's sort of the mother of the Kundalini yogis. She, she, you know, in LA, she's quite a celebrity. She used to teach Michael Jackson. She taught Madonna. She taught all these celebrity people. She opened one of the first, first yoga studios in LA. And you could say she's a, a, a guru, you know, a world famous guru of sorts. And so we go to this fancy house in the Hollywood Hills of one of her disciples. And there's my, 
yoga teacher with his turban and Indian accent. And, you know, everybody started listening to his, you know, stories of the Himalayas in India. And then Gurmukh, this, you know, super celebrity yogi comes to me and says, oh, you know, nice to meet you, Vish. Um, and I said, oh, I'm, I'm so honored to meet you, Gurmukh. And she says, so Vish, where do you teach? And she looked at me, not, not only straight into my eyes, but I think into the depths of my soul. And she said, so Vish, where do you teach? And I said, and I kind of looked behind me. <laughs> it's like, me teach? I don't teach. I'm not a yoga teacher. I just do yoga in the morning. But, you know, I'm a business guy. I start companies. I start divisions of companies. I'm a, you know, a business guy, not a, not a yoga teacher. In fact, I'm just a student. I'm a student of this guy, this, this other guy, Vish. And she sort of looked at me like I was some kid in, you know, second grade, um, giving the wrong answer to a very important question. She sort of took her finger and wagged it at me. And she said, you must not die this lifetime just being a student. You must go and teach. You have wisdom. You have gifts. You must share this with the world. And she then went on to get another helping of Thai vegan food that was being served that night. And I was sitting there completely, you know, chiropractically adjusted at the soul level and trying to decide, oh, what does this mean? What, what did she mean by that? And of course, Vish, my friend, turns to me and says, so you come teach at my neck yoga retreat, okay? I said, okay, I'll come teach. I don't know what to teach. And that sort of started this path of teaching. Yeah. And sure enough, as time went on, many things sort of fell away and aligned uh, yeah. towards a journey of uh, becoming a teacher and a coach. That's just a lovely story. And in terms of then listening to that message and then trusting yourself to go along on that journey, how did you reconcile that within you? It took a while because, you know, when you meet these very sort of self-aware, almost enlightened people, they just know things and they'll sort of give you a hint, right? And I've now come to understand the universe is giving you hints all the time. If you just tune in, there are signs all over the place from people, from animals, from birds, from the weather, from everything in, in the natural world around us, giving you signs that sort of guide you in that direction. But, you know, I was a bit blubber headed. I was sort of like, I'm going this way and this is my way. And I sort of would, would ignore those signs until something really deep, like a this Gurmuk encounter happened where she just sort of like shook me to the core. But it took a while after for that to manifest. I, I um, you know, at the time I, I was still pushing hard to get the startup to work out. I'd had events before in my career where um, I remember this one time I was, um, um, I worked at this tech technology company uh, down in Orange County, California, and I joined the company as their head of product innovation. And I came up with some new product ideas and really shook up the way the company was doing business. And in two years, we quintupled the stock price. So we, the stock price was, was trading at about $9 a share. We made it five times that in two years with this new innovation that I was leading. And it was phenomenal. It was a huge success, huge success for me, big career boost. And I remember one day uh, the CEO called me into his office and, you know, and I was thinking, okay, I'm, this is, I'm about to get promoted. This is good. He called, you know, CEO's administrative assistant calls me into his office, this big wood paneled walnut burled table, wood paneling on the walls. And he sits me down and I'm sort of, you know, beaming with pride. And he says, so Vish, we've, we've done really well. I said, I know we've, we've done really well. And, you know, he's made a lot of money from this. The company's made a lot of money from this innovation. And so I'm kind of waiting for the news. And he said, you know, we're kind of done with that whole innovation thing now. We don't have to push so much. And I said, what do you mean? We got to keep innovating. He said, no, no, no. Everything's happened well. We, we don't have to do that much now. You can kind of come in nine o'clock, leave at five. You don't have to push things so much. And I said, what do you mean by this? Like, what are you getting at here? 
what's really going on? And he, he said that, you know, we're grooming you for senior management, we're grooming you for the next level uh, as part of the executive team. But one thing is when we have our meetings in a group, just kind of go along with, with what I say a little bit more. And I thought, what is he saying? Like, is this the moment where this is what separates the senior executives from the more junior executives? Learning to say yes more? He's basically asked me to be more of a yes man. And it just felt wrong to my core. I thought for all this education, all this work that I've done, all of the you know, sweat that I put in, sweat, blood, and tears put into this, this is the reward that if in order to get promoted, I've got to say yes to the CEO more often in, in, uh, in meetings. And I thought, this is just not for me. So that was sort of one big nail in the coffin of my you know, journey towards becoming a CEO. I, I uh, resigned from the company. I gave them two months notice. I helped hire a new team in place, left them in a good place, and then, and then exited, and then started my own company. And so I went through that whole startup journey, building up a company, building up early revenue. And then um, I had this amazing co-founder. The two of us started this, this technology business. He was the brains of the technology a dear, dear friend. And as we got into seed round funding, uh, some of the investors didn't like his approach and his attitude. So the board actually came to me and asked me to remove him from his role as the CEO of the company, strip him of his board seat and take the company over myself. And I thought, well, this is what you have to do, right? And I was already this sort of like, you know, business first, people second kind of a, a leader at the time still. And so I got, we got lawyers involved and all this really ugly conversation. I ended up stripping my co-founder of his equity in the company, stripping of his board seat, taking him out of the CEO role, making him an external consultant to a company that really was his baby. And I thought that's just what you had to do. And after jumping through all those hoops, one of the investors pulled out of the investment. He had some personal issues. And I thought, here it is again, this, you know, scramble, scramble, fight, fight, fight. And it still just didn't work out. And I didn't understand this trust thing yet. Yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it? Those kind of moments of where maybe something is trying to tell you that perhaps this isn't the right path for you. This isn't the right route, but you, you still kept pushing and, and, and kind of going for it because that was obviously the path that you was heading on at that time. But interesting. So when you took the yoga teacher, when you did the yoga teaching with your um, friend and colleague Vish back in India, how, how did that feel? Did that feel right? Well, that's the thing is, again, go back to the pushing and struggling, because I've become friends with him, I sort of learned, I was like, just teach me an, you know, an hour and a half, hour long program to do in the morning. This was 20 years ago. So he said, okay, here's a routine, do this pose, do that pose, do this meditation, do this breathing, and then go to work. And I said, okay. Then my career would advance and I'd get busier and I'd go back to him. I said, um, can we make this a 45 minute routine? And he said, okay. And then he'd give me a 45-minute routine. And then I come back to him, you know, a few years later. I say, oh, uh, I don't have 45 minutes. Can we make it a 30-minute routine? And eventually I got him down to about a 15-minute routine, like 15-minute <laughs> yoga routine. He said, okay, 15-minute. And so that was sort of this, just this thing that I did that was on the side. And it wasn't until this sort of event where I met Gurmukh and my startup started falling apart and all these sort of world around me sort of collapsing in a way. And out of the blue... Sometime after the Gurmukh encounter, sometime after the investment issue with the startup, somebody reached out to me who was um, a, a vice president of product at an energy company here in LA and said, you know, I just got promoted to this role uh, as vice president of product and I don't really feel comfortable in the role. I don't really know what I'm doing. 
would you consider coaching me? And I thought, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm an entrepreneur, right? So you say, yeah, sure. Of course. I can can do this. (laughs) I can do this. So I started coaching this client um, without really knowing what coaching was. I just thought, let me, you know, help with product. And uh, so, so this was an experience, right? I started coaching this uh, first client and things went really well. And so she started making referrals to other people. I started to all of a sudden have a few different coaching clients. And I thought, you know what? I better learn what this coaching thing is all about if I'm going to make this. And so here I got this collapsing startup, these sort of new coaching clients that I'm coaching. And I was really enjoying it. So I decided that, you know, now it's time. It, it just felt like there was no hope on the executive track. There was no hope for me on the startup track. It just felt like I was, I was hitting the, where the water was just washing me out in a way, like the wave had overtaken me. And this is when this sort of, you know, little kernel started to happen that, wait, maybe my life is a different path. So I enrolled at UC Berkeley in their executive coaching program. And that coaching program opened up a lot for me. I started to really see like, wow, there's a real path here for me. Um, it's, it's leveraging things that I already innately knew. And then I decided to put a coaching program for myself together. So I went to India finally 20 years later and did a proper yoga teacher training under Vishwaketu. Um, I went to the Chopra Center and studied their meditation instructor program. I did their Ayurvedic instructor program. And so little by little, I started to put together this sort of you know, new way of coaching that I came up with of East meets West coaching. So using the Vedic wisdom and the sort of Western management experiences. And this is when it started to really feel like, okay, I found, I'm starting to ride the wave. The wave is starting to now carry me because the coaching practice just grew very organically, very simply. There was really no struggle. Um, so I think as soon as I embraced this path, the struggle sort of went away. The, the wave just started, just started to carry me. Um, and now I coach those very same people that I used to be. And so I get to see, you know, a little bit of like, oh, that's what where I could have ended up, like, you know, yeah. with, with a lot of stress and and health issues, right? Because I had mm-hmm. in my career, I had two bosses that had heart attacks. They both survived. Yeah. Um, but these are very high stress environments that obviously yeah. led to health issues. And it's it's interesting that sense of riding the wave. And so the word that came up to mind as you were speaking there was this sense of surrendering and just being in flow and just really just going with it. And it sounds like that found you in a way rather than you forcing it also. So even like you said, 20 years later, going back and and really doing the work then and learning to teach and everything else that you did. One of my, you know, I was, I'm involved in local politics. I was a local elected uh, um, board director of our local health district. And so I was very close to all the mayors and city council members and one of the city councilmen who you know he's not a yogi person necessarily or coaching type of person but he said to me you know vish the universe is always giving nudges but in your case it gave you a swift kick in the ass <laughs> wow like here's a, it's a non- good way of putting it yeah. <laughs> yeah this is what happened and and that's what happened to me is i i had a, you know finally woke up i would say and the sort of the icing on the cake of the story was when i went to india 20 years later enrolled at the ashram started studying, you know, proper yoga teacher training in a traditional Himalayan ashram under a traditional teacher. I was four days away from my graduation from the program. And I went for a walk along the Ganges River. Rishikesh is this beautiful little town at the foothills of the Himalayas. The Ganges River runs through it. And there's this forest walk, uh, this forest along the river. And so I was walking along the banks of the river and the sun was setting. And in the other direction, I see this woman walking towards me you know, older woman with this turban and, you know, flowing robes. And as she comes closer, I notice her and I said, oh my gosh, 
Gurmuk, what are you doing here? <laughs> and she's, you know, like I met her in LA. I said, hey, I met you in LA, you know, a year and a half ago. And, you know, you said this thing to me and you completely changed my life trajectory. Um, and I want to let you know that I'm here. I'm, you know, you told me to be a teacher. I'm learning to be a yoga teacher. And she said, oh, yes, yes, I remember. She gave me this huge hug. And she said, you know, blessings on your journey. And I said, what are you doing here? She said, oh, I'm here to teach for the International Yoga Festival. I was invited to teach. And so that's why I'm here. I said, what a coincidence to run into you. And she said, you know what? I'm going to come to your graduation and give you a blessing at your graduation. So she came to my yoga teacher training graduation. And, you know, I've got a picture of her, you know, uh, patting my head and giving me this blessing. Um, and so how does that happen? That is like, you know, incredibly divine coincidence that to meet her in an LA dinner and then a year and a half later during my teacher train to actually run into her, you know, at that moment on the Ganges River. I mean, random place to bump into somebody that you'd seen in LA, but that synchronicity, I think for me, I don't know, is feels to me like another sign that that was meant to be and was, you know, was meant to happen for you. Yeah. And I think that most of my life I had tuned out of the synchronicities. And as soon as I started going on a path that was more aligned right? More aligned with my life purpose. I mean, that's, that's the thing is once you are clear in your life purpose, you start aligning your life towards your life purpose, you start slowing down, you stop fighting and struggling, you just sort of, you know, let the universe carry you little by little, these synchronicities become daily occurrences. So, you know, where I might have had one or two synchronicities in 10 years, now I have, you know, 10 a day, like they're, they happen all the time, because I'm just tuned in now in a different way. So just from a listener's perspective, then that synchronicity and, and being open to seeing the signs or to, to see the opportunities, what do people or what should be people looking out for that might be useful for them? Well, I think that most of us are, you know, this collection of bones and joints and muscles walking around with this big, huge emotional <laughs> baggage. And we walk around just sort of a brain and a body. And it's, it's sort of two thirds of our being, right? Just our mind and our intellect and our emotions and our physical body are just a, 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 a subset of our entire being. And we, we have to bring the part of our being that's connected to the universe, and that is our soul level. So you can call it your soul level, your spirit level, your consciousness, your deeper awareness, your divinity. Um, that is what we have to bring to the table. And so even in coaching, if I'm coaching somebody with a business plan, I'll say, okay, you, your body showed up to the meeting. Your mind is obviously going 100 miles an hour to figure out how to make this business happen. But where's your spirit in all this? Where's your soul in all this? Can we bring that element of your being to the table to help you manifest your, you know, whatever your goals are. And so I think a lot of it has been in cultivating on a regular basis, this connection to your deeper self. And there's many ways to do that. You can do it through meditation, you can do it through prayer, you can do it through being in nature. I mean, there's many approaches, but connecting that deeper layer of your being automatically connects you to the part of your being that is connected to the universe. And then the universe sort of delivers you and you're sensitive to it, and you start to have these synchronicities. And in a way, the synchronicity is not the universe delivering it to you. It's you at your deeper level, yeah. just connected to the deeper part of you that's connected to the universe. Mm. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense, yeah. And so for those people who perhaps are less trusting of that experience or not really yet fully tapped into that deeper sense of knowing and deeper connection, as you've described there, is there any other things or any advice that you could give that would be useful? Yeah, so there's, you know, we have a saying in, in, in America, fake it till you make it, um, and, you know, especially <laughs> in the business world and, and as an entrepreneur, right? You, yep. you go pitch an idea to a company, you don't really have a team to build it, but you say, oh, we got this product ready. And then the company says, oh, yeah, let's do it. And then once you get the deal, you sort of build up the back end to, to deliver. 
So there is a little bit of where you kind of, I don't want to say pretend, but you just sort of start to notice things, start to slow down, start to pay attention and start drawing connections between things. Because at first it seems like, oh, this thing happened, but I don't really know how it connects. But just sort of let your imagination go like, oh, I was thinking about this friend of mine and I just heard a siren of an ambulance go by. Maybe I should reach out to their friend, to that friend. Um, maybe they're in trouble. And maybe you reach out and everything's fine with them. But at least you started exercising this awareness and this, this ability, right? Um, if you have a big decision to make, notice what's going on around you and see if you can sort of connect the dots with something. And maybe you're sort of making it up along the way, but it's building a muscle. It's building an awareness. And eventually what will happen is you will have these experiences, no doubt, where something happens and it has a clear message to you of what is going on. Uh, Jillian, as you know, I'm a, I'm a Vedic astrologer. And so this is, you know, a big part of my work is looking at people's birth charts and helping them understand their, their journey and what's going on in their lives. At the end of the day, it is actually a study of omens. Like I'm studying that, you know, when you were born, this planet happened to be in this location of the sky. What does that mean for you? And then we draw some conclusions based on that. And, you know, you can't see the planets. They're so far out in space. And we're trying to draw a conclusion of that. But what happens if something happens right in front of you? Right? What happens when, um, you know, you are talking to somebody and all of a sudden a lawnmower goes off outside your window and somebody's cutting the grass. What does that mean? What's being cut away? And at first it may seem a bit like out there, like why am I worried about a lawnmower cutting grass and this person? But if you ask the question and say, hey, um, has there been something in your life that is sort of overgrown that you need to weed out or cut out of the way? And so many times now the client will say to me, oh my gosh, how did you know that? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't quite know. I don't know how to explain it, but it's this, you start to get this, this, yeah tuning in. Um, and it's, it may seem out there, but think about a surfer, going back to my initial analogy, a surfer is just paying attention to the rhythm of the waves. And, you know, now, you know, my son is a surfer now, he just sits out there and he watches and he, he gets very quiet. He's 14 years old, you know, his hormones are raging, but when he's at the ocean, he stops and he watches and he observes the waves, he notices. And when he goes out there, he just, you know, a couple of small paddles and the wave just carries him because he's aware and in tune with yeah. the universe or with nature. And it's lovely what you've just shared, that, that sense of sitting in stillness, finding some quiet within, I think, because sometimes we're so busy, we don't even give ourselves the opportunity to quiet ourselves down a little bit and just to pay attention and to notice. I, when, when I teach, I use the phrase, learn to become a compassionate observer of self. And I think it's similar or feels very similar in terms of what you've just been sharing that I think it's um, really interesting, I think really important as well. Yeah, Jillian, I feel like when I'm in, you know, was in the corporate world and, and the people that I coach in the corporate world, when people are in very senior positions, like the CEO level, the most remarkable leaders seem to be available all the time. They don't seem busy. That's one thing I've noticed in common is like the people who are in the most senior positions, they're just not busy. They are just there. They have more stillness in their life. They have more time to observe. And, you know, contrasted to me, when I was trying to get to those roles, I was just scrambling and extremely busy and stressed out all the time. I couldn't tune into things. I could barely tune into the people and the team. Um, and so now I realize that as you, as you get more quiet, you observe more, you notice things in the business, you notice things in the people that are running the business, you notice things in the environment, all of those together help inform a much more 
sort of synchronicity-based approach to leadership. And this is a massive assumption, but I'm assuming then that your definition to success has changed over the years, and I'm wondering where that has now shifted to. Um, that's a great coaching question, Gillian. <laughs> you are I try. A master coach, so uh, yeah, that's, a, that's a deep one. Yeah, I would say that clearly my idea of success is more about, you know, can you be time rich? Like that's how I look at it. I, I, I used to think that it was all about can I get the bigger salary? Can I get the bigger promotion? Can I get the bigger bonus? Can I be you know, financially better off? And that's a measure of success. Uh, but I had no time. And now I'm starting to realize that actually the people who have time are the ones who are wealthy. Can you be time rich? And when you're time rich, you have the ability to really slow down and pay attention to things. And that by nature starts to orient you to better opportunities that eventually give you abundance. So it's sort of a different way of thinking about it, rather than hustling and struggling and punching your way to try and be more successful by slowing down you orient yourself towards the right things you catch the wave much easier and it carries you along to towards a more successful existence so one of the mantras that um, i feel like my one of my mentors taught me was do less accomplish more yeah yeah and that so is true. you know it takes yeah. a while to come to that level of comfort to say okay if i do less i will accomplish more and i think you have to sit with that don't you for a while to to allow that just to kind of settle within more than anything else because yeah it's, it's quite difficult to do but really useful and Julian, we've both seen that right we've both worked yeah. with people where mm -hmm. we've taken their busyness down 10 notches and their you know income has sometimes tripled or quadrupled yeah um, so i've seen that over yeah. and over again where i've taken somebody from an 80-hour work week down to a 30-hour work week and their revenue yeah. has you know doubled or tripled in, in their absolutely businesses. yeah and it's it's strange because when that happens is a real surprise and delight equally at the same time but that sense of realization that we don't have to keep those same patterns of what we've had in the past and to keep reliving those we can make a difference and to if we do slow down it can make a big big difference to how we are not just how we live our lives but from a health perspective as you've shared but also that sense of how you just show up in the world it's very difficult reprogramming though we're all you know we're all not that many generations removed from the industrial revolution, right? So we are sort of it's ingrained in us that you work hard and that's how you, you know, make more widgets, right? <laughs> more more widgets at the factory. So we still have this factory worker mindset deep in our sort of programming from a couple of generations ago. And so it's really hard to sort of shift to that. And the spiritual traditions have this wisdom, like that that's understood that, you know, the more you slow down, the more stillness you bring into your life, the more stillness practices you uh, incorporate into your life, the more aware you become and the more happier and successful you become. Yeah. And I suppose that's the basis of your book, isn't it? In terms of how you can bring those East and the Western philosophies together in terms of the business casual yoga. And if you haven't read it, I would recommend to those who are listening, you absolutely must read it. It's a brilliant book and gives you great insight and really does make you stop and reflect and think about your life. So please definitely buy it if you've not read it yet. I've just got a few more questions to ask you if that's okay, yeah. Vish. Yeah. You've obviously learned so much along the way and you've shared so many wonderful insights already. But I'm just wondering, what is the biggest thing that you've learned so far on your journey? Yeah, I think the biggest one is is really the idea of slowing down. Yeah. Um, you know, I have I have three young children and I remember when my third child was born, I, I barely saw her in the first year. I just wasn't home. I was working all the mm -hmm. time. And it just sort of flew by. And I, I'm like, what, what happened to those days? What happened to those years? And I can point to the accomplishments that I had during that, that time period and you know the business successes, but those don't really count for anything at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. 
And so I hear this over and over from people that are, you know, late in their years and, and close to passing on. They always talk about the regrets they have. And nobody ever is on their deathbed wishing they worked harder. <laughs> nobody <No>. ever wishes <laughs> they no. <laughs> um, It's, you know, when you come to the end of life, you're sort of thinking, you know, why didn't I slow down more? Why didn't I slow down and smell the roses more? Yeah. And so I think the one thing that I'm, you know, sort of becoming a, a core focus of my life is how do I slow down? Um, you know, I, I shifted out of the corporate track. I built my coaching practice and tried to slow life down. And of course, then your coaching practice starts to grow. I start to get lots of clients and lots of opportunities. And I kind of recreated somehow this busyness again. So, so it's like I, I left the corporate track and then recreated the whole, you know, overload thing again. It's like, what, what am I doing? Like, this is backwards. So it's this constant learning journey. And I think one of the biggest takeaways from my own story that I'm trying to, you know, bring back into my life is slow down, keep yeah. slowing down. Um, and the more that I slow down, uh, the more things happen for me. And it's, it's funny because I, I test it, right? I'm always like, mm-hmm. I'm an engineer by training, so I'm always testing and experimenting. <laughs> so I said, well, you know, I don't know if I trust this whole slowing down in the universe thing. Let me do a test. So I'm going to take the morning off and just go to the beach and sit at the beach and see what happens. And then I'll go for four hours, sit at the beach, play in the ocean. I'll come back to my computer in the afternoon. And sure enough, there's two emails waiting for people that I've been trying to get a hold of for weeks. And all of a sudden, their email shows up that morning. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, of course, oh, it's a coincidence. Let me try the experiment again. (laughs) And so the next (laughs) one I try again. And the same thing happens. So eventually, you start to learn that you you can actually test this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can test your conviction, but really slowing down, I believe, is not only the route to more success in your business, but also in your personal life, in your relationships mm-hmm. with your family, in your own health and well-being. And, you know, that's really it. So I think that's the, yeah. the ultimate takeaway is yeah. slow down. And so any other pearls of wisdom that you think would be useful to share with our audience around trusting the universe, trusting yourself? I was asked by a local magazine, actually, about this, this concept of trusting the universe. And I remember when I replied to that interview question, one of the things I said is, it's not just about trusting the universe. It's also about knowing why you're here and what you're here to do. So if you all of a sudden say, well, I want to be a billionaire and I'm just going to sit still and trust the universe that I'll become a billionaire, it's probably not in the car. It's not going to work out. That's not a strategy, right? So you have to sort of orient and align your life towards something that is part of your life purpose and part of your reason for existence. And it has to sort of be supported for multiple things, right? If you have the the means and that's sort of a track and path of yours, then it'll work out. So I think the first thing before you even trust the universe is in yoga tradition, we call it the sankalpa shakti. Sankalpa shakti means the power of your intention. So you know why you're here. You know the reason for your existence. You know what service you're here to offer society. You get very clear about that in your mind. And then you set an intention of manifesting that particular existence in that direction of life. Then you let go and trust the universe will carry you on that journey. Right, like you can't say, "Well, I'm going to surf against the wave in out into the ocean, and just have it work out." You you sort of have to trust the universe, but still align with the waves. So there's, I think, two yeah. pieces to it. There's an alignment piece yeah. and a trusting piece. I mean, obviously, you've shared your story, and I know I've done that myself. And it's not, it's like you said, it's not necessarily always easy because you do fall back sometimes into old ways, and and it's and, and it takes time as well to get to that 
for all those things to start to manifest and to fall into place. And so again, from those that are listening who have not really experienced this, what advice can you give them around that aligning to that life purpose, I suppose, more than anything else? So obviously a coach can help that. That's what- (laughs) Of course. We have a radar for that. Like we have a radar, like bing, bing, bing. Okay, they're on track. Um, But the other thing is like, check with your circle of close friends. Like people know. When I started going full-time into coaching, I was the person who was most surprised in my circle. Like when I told people I'm going full-time into coaching, they're like, most of my friends were like, duh, well, yeah, what have you been waiting for? <laughs> and I was like, why did you tell me before, you know? And even some of my, um, some some people that I that I used to work with, and yeah, I was, I was a pretty, you know, hard-driving manager, but I always made time for people if they wanted to have a one-on-one mentoring conversation. So, and, and so people told me and said, you know, I remember back when you worked at this place and you were, you know, I used to ask you for time on your calendar to sit for 30 minutes and ask you some mentoring questions. You always made time for that and you never rescheduled those meetings. So there was already a clue along my 20 year career that I never rescheduled heart to heart mentoring type conversations. So there's one clue. When I told friends I'm going into coaching, most of them, probably a hundred, hundred percent said, well, obviously, you've always been doing that. You've done that your whole life. When I told my family, they said, yeah, you've always been the one in the family who you know, shares advice and wisdom. And of course, that, that's not necessarily, coaching is not necessarily advising. It's a different approach. But in their paradigm, they're like, oh, of course, you would do this type of work. So the answers are actually all around you. And again, if you slow down and you start asking and tuning in, um, you know, I probably never asked anybody, do you think I could be a coach? Because I wasn't slowing down enough. Now that I went into the practice and I said, I'm a coach, they're like, well, of course, if you'd asked me, I would have told you that's great for you. So I think the answers are there. I think you find a trusted confidant, you find a trusted friend, somebody you respect, somebody that you look up to, um, or or your coach, right? They're trained specifically to figure that out. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed having this conversation with you and for sharing your insights and wisdom with us. Um, It's been absolutely brilliant. So thank you so much, Fish, for your time this afternoon. Good. Thank you for having me, Jillian. This was a lot of fun. I hope the listeners find this really exciting and interesting and I hope it sparks some insight for them and helps them orient their board in the direction of the wave and let the wave carry them to the happiness and contentment they're looking for in their life. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, it would mean the world to me if you would leave a review and subscribe to be notified each week of new episodes. Until next time, stay well, invite joy and curiosity into your life. See you soon.